0: and hear the word of the Lord. Some Sadducees, those who say that there is no resurrection, came to him and asked him a question. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, leaving a wife but no children... The man shall marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers, and the first married and died childless. Then the second and the third married her. And so, in the same way, all seven died childless. Finally, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had married her. Jesus said to them, Those who belong to this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy of a place in that age and in the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. Indeed, they cannot die anymore because they are like angels and are children of God, being children of the resurrection. And the fact that the dead are raised, Moses himself showed in the story about the bush, where he speaks of the Lord as the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now he is the God, not of the dead, but of the living, for to him all of them are alive. And then some of the scribes answered, Teacher, you have spoken well, for they no longer dared to ask him another question. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. About. Well, our text today is about people who are looking for a way to find and to hold on to their own perspective. And our text today also illustrates how it has always been challenging to talk about God and about religious beliefs about how we understand God, and about what we think those beliefs mean for the rest of the world. It has always been a very big challenge. Just to situate our context for where we are in Scripture today, if you flip two pages forward, you'll see that we have Jesus on the night of the arrest. So that helps us to know that we are at the end of Jesus' ministry here, or at least we're approaching the end. And that usually means that the stakes are high. And what that means is that everybody is feeling charged, right? So this is not the beginning of the ministry where things are sort of nice and smoothly rolling. This is the end where there's a lot of opinions and a lot of people have taken different sides. Most people know who he is and exactly what they think about him. And most people have taken a side. And he finds himself often in the middle, especially in this last trip into Jerusalem, where he has these various opponents. And this is a You know, sort of for those who like Bible trivia, this is one of those times where we get a chance to see and really have highlighted all of those different groups that sort of maintain some sort of political status within Jerusalem because they all approach him in this last time in which he's walking through the city. And they all sort of approach him in a way in which they'd like to find a way to grill and to trap him. And by trapping him, what they're really interested in doing is trapping each other. Now, I don't know if that sounds familiar to you in any way at all, but it sounds a little bit familiar to me. Now, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, just for those who are keeping score, are not very good friends. They have very different interpretations of scripture. The Pharisees, in fact, those who encounter Jesus on a more regular basis, we often don't know this about him, but they actually have a much more liberal and progressive perspective in the first century. They read a larger canon of scripture. The Sadducees, as it were, they only read the canon of the first five books of scripture called the Torah. Those are called the five books of Moses. And that is the only book, plural, that they read. Okay? The Pharisees, they also include the writings, the psalms, and the prophets. So they would have a more expansive scripture, a more expansive canon that they're drawing for, drawing from. In addition, the Sadducees, and the text kind of helps us understand this, the Sadducees do not believe in the resurrection. Now keep in mind, this is before the death and the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection was an idea that existed within Jewish tradition. We see glimpses of it within the Psalms and the prophets. So it was an idea that was not new in the first century. It was an idea in which the people of God were looking forward to the resurrection, okay? The Pharisees were part of that group. The Sadducees were not. They declined the idea of the resurrection. Part of it is because they only read the first five books of Moses, and they would argue that within those five books, one was not able to see glimpses of this idea called the resurrection, The Pharisees had a more expansive perspective, and they would argue that in the Psalms and in the Prophets, you do get glimpses of this idea called a resurrection. But they don't have different texts that they read on a regular basis, and so when they come together, they cannot get on the same page. And they are always trying to trap one another. We don't often see this in the text, but every once in a while we see how they're sort of pitted against one another. Keep in mind, these are people who grew up within the same traditions, right, who practiced the same faith. And yet within those communities, they are looking for ways to trap one another because they are locked in a battle of who is right and why. Sound familiar? So they come to Jesus with this ridiculous question. And it's what I like to think of as the seventh grade math problem of theological questions. So you can just imagine it finishing up with a sentence like, Please show your work. (laughs) And this is exactly what Jesus does. He begins with tracing their question regarding this whole idea of marriage and being given in marriage, right? So he takes the idea that they've given them and he elucidates, he expands it, he helps them to see it within a broader perspective. But he does not stop there. He starts doing something really incredible. And we might miss it because on the page it doesn't actually seem that interesting. If you'll notice, what Jesus does is he references the book of Exodus. He references the time in which Moses encountered God in the burning bush. Now we could, at first glance, begin to see this as just another sort of statement that can get lost in this confusing 7th grade math problem. But keep in mind what the Sadducees used as their scripture, the first five books of the Bible, the book that we refer to as the Torah, only the books of Moses. So Jesus not only engages their question, but he takes them right into the heart of their own tradition in order to answer it. And this is very deeply compassionate communication because what Jesus is not doing, and what he could have easily done, is reference a psalm or a prophet. And that would have been right, but it would not have been compassionate, because he was able to take something that the Sadducees knew and experienced and believed to be their own sacred text, and help them to understand that it is within that location that they can begin to find the answer to their questions. So Jesus sees not only the importance of the argument, but the language that is actually needed to speak from one community to another. It's not just about the answer, Jesus says, but about the way that you begin To get to the answer. And in this demonstration, what Jesus begins to do is also help us to understand something about the text itself. And I want to spend the rest of our time this morning sort of understanding what the text is and how it is that we can come into relationship with these words how it is that these words begin to impact and change us and form us. Because what Jesus also demonstrates in this problem is that scripture is dynamic, it's elastic, it's alive, and it is breathing. Jesus does not go back into the book of Moses with a closed mind, he goes with a very open mind, perhaps looking for something that he has never seen before but that could be there nestled within that text, perhaps seeing something that until that point hadn't yet been made visible. And his very practice demonstrates to us that the text is meant to be in dialogue with us. Not only with us at one point in our life, but with us every step along the way. The text is meant to be with us where we are. And also, when Jesus goes back into the book of Moses, to answer this question from the Pharisees. The other thing that he's illuminating and illustrating in this practice is he's helping us to see that the text can actually speak to our biases about it. The text can actually speak to our biases about it. And sometimes, amazingly, it can actually bend to some of those biases in order to help us begin to see what the biases are. It's very compassionate that Jesus goes into the book of Exodus, which was a bias for the Sadducees, but it's within that location that he finds information that actually illuminates the biases of the Sadducees. So the text is a very dynamic and alive place. He goes into the place where they are in order to break their bias. But we do not always have the opportunity, nor do we have the wherewithal to see the text with this much grace. We often live in a world where we want to say that the Bible is for this or that. It is pro-life, we want to argue. It is for gun control. Now, I am for gun control, right? But the Bible is not me. It is for the Second Amendment, others want to argue. It is pro-life. Oh, excuse me, I just said that. It is for Obama. It is for Trump. If we were to pull back into the 1950s, what we might see is that it is for the teaching of evolution or it is against the teaching of evolution. If we were to pull back into the 19th century, we would begin to see that it is for the union of the United States and all of the economic concerns that surrounded that, or it is against. If we were to pull back into the 17th and the 18th centuries, we would, now brace yourself, because this is not going to be comfortable for us, but we would begin to see that the Bible was used to actually be for before the separation of the races. Right? We have evidence that people used to argue for that. Stay within that landscape, and you have other... Documents that help you to see that the Bible was used for land ownership, that it argued for that, or that the Bible was for manifest destiny. Move into Jerusalem a few days before Jesus was arrested, and you have the idea of the Bible being for the resurrection, or not for the resurrection you have the Bible being understood as only the first five books of the text, or you have it being understood with the inclusion of much more than the words of Moses. And in each situation, in each century, over the course of time, you have different political groups aligning on different sides, saying, this is my Bible And it is for me. And what does Jesus do about all of these things? He does something amazing. He says the text is alive and it is breathing and it cannot be pinned down into one court or the other. I do not own it, and neither do any of us. It, in fact, will always push us beyond the issue, if we are willing to listen. It will, from our own limited perspective, always show us something about the other side that we never even knew was there. And it will not validate either of us, but it will always bring us somewhere new. And that's just what Jesus does, right, in this text where the Sadducees are trying to pin down the Pharisees and the Pharisees are sort of seeing if their ground will hold. And Jesus sees right through it and does not take either side and brings both of them somewhere new. Anybody know what a nurse log is? Yeah, almost everybody does. Um, nurse logs are found in almost every forest of the Pacific Northwest here. And at first glance, they are just dead wood, right? Pointing in a particular direction, taking up a very clear and particular space. But are they dead or are they alive? Do they have one particular end and one message? Some people see the text as only the log itself, occupying one particular space, pointing to one particular message and incapable of anything else. but nurse logs harbor new life. In fact, whole trees can grow up from the rich hummus of a nurse log. Nurse logs help to create. We know that nurse logs are not dead. They are in fact rich resources of life That we cannot live without. Friends, the Bible is nothing if it is not a witness to the living God who actively loves this world. It offers us nothing beyond that information. And if it bears witness, to a living God who moves towards this world in love, then we will never be able to pin it down, lock it up, or make it ours. It will always be free, and it will always speak for itself. And if it is a witness to the living God who moves towards this world always in love, then it will always harbor life. It will not be a place of finality, but it will be a place of generative imagination and growth. And it always has been that. And we see Jesus illustrate that in this very simple exchange where he does not side with either the Pharisees or the Sadducees, but instead he illustrates that the book of Moses, in fact, something that they never would have anticipated, something that goes way back before the Psalms and the prophets, that the book of Moses bears witness to a living God that is bound by neither time nor space. And that that living God is alive and breathing, and you do not need the Psalms and the prophets in order to confirm that there is resurrection, because it is within the DNA of God as God's self, who speaks from the burning bush at the very start of this whole journey. Alive and breathing, the God of the living from the time of Moses, from the time of Abraham until now. I know that there are many times that we want Scripture to side with us, whatever our issue is, in order to give us comfort and in order to help us feel assured. But our deepest assurance will not come from that. Our deepest assurance will come from the fact That we are gathered around the God of the living from the time of Abraham until now. And that as we bear witness to that God, we have no greater comfort both in life and in death. And so the peace that we have for us for this time and space is that we do not need to be right. We just need to be faithful. So let us continue to gather around the text with open minds and open hearts, not seeking accuracy, but seeking life. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you so much for this text. We thank you that it remains the center that bears witness to you, and that in that it bears witness to you, it bears witness to life over and over and over again. May we gather a taste of that life this week in your name. Amen. Friends, let us stand.